So you're probably wondering who the bearded priest is up on the anvil right now. Uh, no, I am not a capuchin that you, don't, you haven't met yet. Uh, although don't let the beard fool you, I'm actually a diocesan priest. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Phoenix. My name is Father Will Schmid. Uh, and I know you're thinking, oh, priest from Phoenix, man, he's got to be dying in this weather. Uh, but I actually live in Flagstaff. My parish is in Flagstaff. It's at 7,000 feet. And so uh, I'm used to the snow. So this is par for the course for me. Um, I'm here because I'm on sabbatical for five months uh, to live with the Companions of Christ, uh, to discern the possibility of starting something similar in the Diocese of Phoenix. Um, and so I've been very blessed to get to know Father Brian and a number of other companions. They've welcomed me into their home. And um, when I reached out to them and said, hey, uh, during this sabbatical, I'd be happy to help out at a parish that needs help or a priest who needs extra mass coverage or whatever, they said, well, let's get back to you. And a month later, they called me and they said, well, we got this priest over at Lourdes, but he's kind of lazy. So <laughs> I guess we could send you to be with him. Uh, just kidding. No, they said great things about Father Brian and great things about you, and they said he could really use the help. And so I'll actually be helping out quite a bit over the next five months, uh, helping uh, with masses and confessions on the weekends. Uh, and who knows, kind of, I'm being led by the Spirit, you know, to kind of uh, help out in different ways. And, but primarily I'm here to discern uh, what does it mean to have true priestly fraternity. So it's been really great so far. Grateful to Father Brian. I'm grateful to all of you for, for letting me be here today. And so I hope to get to uh, know all of you, or at least many of you, uh, and maybe over time I can recognize you by your smiling faces instead of your, your face covering colors and logos. So an interviewer once asked um, Pope St. John Paul the Great the question, what was the greatest day of your life? What a beautiful question. What was the greatest day of your life? Now, as you can imagine, there were many answers that JP2 could have given to this question. For example, he could have talked about the day he was ordained a priest, or maybe the day he was ordained a bishop, or maybe even the day he became pope. He could have talked about the day communism fell. That was a goal he had been working towards his entire life. Or maybe he could have talked about the day he was able to visit and forgive the man who shot him and tried to take his own life. Instead, he baffled the interviewer with a surprising answer. He responded, my baptism. My baptism. John Paul II, like many of us, was baptized as an infant. It was a day he certainly did not remember. And yet to him, it was the greatest day of his life. Today we celebrate the solemnity of the baptism of the Lord. A day in which Jesus Christ himself enters, entered into the waters of baptism. Not to be freed from sin, because we all know that Jesus did not commit a sin, but to make holy the waters of baptism so that all who are baptized in his name might have freedom from sin and entrance into his life and the life of the church. The Catechism of the Catholic Church reminds us that holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life in the Spirit and that through baptism we are reborn as sons of God. In order to have a deeper understanding of this powerful mystery and to get at why JP2 would have responded to that question with my baptism, I'd like to take a closer look at one of the defining aspects of the baptismal rite, the call and response version of the Apostles' Creed. 
also known as the renewal of baptismal promises. Now, historically, the creed finds its original setting, believe it or not, not within the Mass, but rather within the baptismal liturgy. And it's one of baptismal liturgy's primary elements, defining elements. But there's a temptation in the modern world to reduce the creed to a series of intellectual propositions, divorced from the actions of my life. In fact, there's a temptation in the modern world to reduce the entirety of Christianity to a belief, a mental assent to a series of intellectual propositions, divorced from how I live and even how I worship. And the Christian faith is so much more than just the mere intellectual belief in a series of dogmatic principles. And so too is the creed more of a proclamation than just simply of what we think. The creed is what Pope Benedict likes to call a performative prayer, meaning it's ordered towards a deeper conversion of my entire life to Jesus Christ. So the I believe language and the I do language of the creed presumes a relationship of unity between what I intellectually believe and how I choose to live my life. So when we say, I believe, I do, right, those words of the creed, we're making what's called an existential statement, meaning we're making a statement that communicates the essence of who we are and who continues to form our deepest identity. Of course, that's Jesus. Now, in the New Testament, the word for faith is kind of a funny word. It's pistis, fun word, right? which is most accurately defined not as a mental acceptance of something, but as faithfulness, meaning an unconditional commitment, a total belonging to someone who is to be obeyed and followed no matter what. To make a profession of faith, then, is to allow the life of Jesus Christ to live in me to manifest the desire and the commitment to follow Jesus at all times, in all circumstances, making my whole life of service to him. But at the same time, we have to remember that the Catholic faith is a communal reality. It can never be lived merely by one's own strength. Since God is a Trinitarian communion of persons, and we are made in his image and likeness, our faith is also communal. That expression, me and Jesus, as sometimes we hear people say, is kind of ridiculous because it's never just Jesus. He is always with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it's never just me because I am always with the church. See, we learn to live our faith through the lived witnesses of others. In fact, it's because a lived example of the faith that I have been able to live my life as a Catholic, and you're able to live your lives as a Catholic. And because the lived example of faith is so important in our life of Christ, every person, the church teaches that every person who is baptized has the right to have at least one lived example of faith. Someone who exemplifies, both in word and in deed, a life that gives shining witness to the life of Jesus. 
This is the role of the godparent. Godparents agree to provide this specific living witness. They agree to demonstrate by their life a unity of what they believe, who they are, and how they live. If a person is not living that life of union with the faith that is professed, then they cannot honestly and faithfully assume the responsibilities of being a godparent. That's why the church makes such a big deal about godparents, is because we cannot live the faith without that lived witness. It's also why maybe my uncle or my cousin or my brother has fallen away from the faith, although they may be like a really good person, they're a bad choice for a godparent because they can't offer that beautiful living witness of the, of the unity of a life of faith lived out in the world, right? doesn't mean they can't be an important person in the life of my child, but they can't honestly and faithfully assume those responsibilities, right? In addition, when parents and godparents profess their faith during the baptismal rite, they're making an act of faith on behalf of the child being baptized. We all know that small children, infants, are simply too young to make an act of faith on their own. Someone must help them in supplying an act of faith. For this reason, many Protestant churches do not baptize infants because they can't make that act of faith on their own. However, in response to that, we would say infants are also too young to feed themselves, to defend themselves, to provide for themselves. The family, in many different ways, supplies for the various needs of a child. Well, the same is true in the life of faith. Godparents make an oath before God and his church, not only that their lives are living witnesses to Jesus, but also that they will help raise the child in such a way that the child might come to know and love and serve the Lord. Now, it's no secret that many who are baptized uh, have ended up leaving the church. I heard somebody once told me that the two largest religious denominations in America are Catholics and ex-Catholics, right? And we have to wonder just a little bit. Now, we know there's probably a variety of contributing factors, but we have to wonder just a little bit what role does a lack of a living witness play in the lives of those who have chosen to leave the Christian faith? I mean, I know in my own life, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, but I grew up in a Lutheran household. I was baptized as an infant. I had godparents. But I never received that living witness promised at my own baptism. I had two godparents, but neither of them offered a live witness of a life in Christ. In fact, after my baptism, I never saw them again. The lack of a lived witness from someone other than my parents made it harder for me to live a life in Christ during my younger years. I may not have been able to articulate it when I was younger, but I can now. I certainly felt their absence. And I imagine there are many people who feel the absence of a lived witness, but maybe don't have the exact words to describe what is missing. In a homily on the baptism of the Lord, Pope St. John Paul the Great said, Will children be able to be open to faith if they do not receive a supportive witness to it from the adults who surround them? These children need you, first of all, dear parents. 
then they also need you, dear godparents, in order to learn to know the true God who is merciful love. It is up to you to introduce them to this knowledge, first and foremost through the witness of your behavior in the relationships you have with them and with others, relationships marked by attention, acceptance, and forgiveness. They will understand that God is fidelity if they can first recognize his reflection, even if it is limited and faint, in your loving presence. Pope John Paul II was right in saying that his baptism was the greatest day of his life. The graces of baptism made all the other great days of his life possible. There would be no other great day in the life of JP2 had he not first had the great day of baptism. It was baptism that brought him into the life of Christ and his church. It was baptism that gave him the strength to work to bring down communism. It was baptism that gave him the grace to be able to forgive the man who tried to kill him. He was blessed to be surrounded by a number of witnesses, including his own parents and godparents, who could demonstrate for him how to offer his whole life as a gift to the Lord. And we as an entire church have been blessed by those who formed him in the faith. We have been blessed by JP2's total gift of self. It's inspired many people, including myself, to want to make a gift of ourselves, myself, to the Lord. Today's solemnity is a beautiful opportunity for you and me to renew our commitment to offer our lives as a living witness to Jesus Christ. May our recitation of the creed during this Mass today be more of a performative prayer, where we strive ever more eagerly towards having Christ at the center of every aspect of our life. May it be more than just a series of intellectual propositions that we assent to mentally. But may it be a true profession of our faithfulness to Jesus Christ.